0: The rest of us can open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Pastor Matt is going to continue his sermon today uh, through the the signs and seals of the various things that we are instructed to do as the church. So, we will read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17... For those of you who might be unaware, the chapters are the big numbers, the verses are the little tiny numbers in the middle of the text. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17.
1: In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have There have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
0: So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So good morning. My name is Pastor Matt, and we are in a sermon series on what is the church, what marks the church. And uh, we are going to be looking at the Lord's supper this morning. Uh, um, one thing I'm just thankful for this church is some of the things that are going to be talked about in here is just caring for one another and how that's how we care for one another during the week should then be reflected with how we take the Lord's Supper. And just thinking over the last few weeks, uh, you have served my family and we've been blessed by helping us move. I thank you a few weeks ago helping Cynthia Kent move, and how you minister to one another during the week uh, is really the heart of what it means to be the church. What we do on Sunday morning is great. We gather to remember what Christ has done and we we honor what he has accomplished through the cross, Uh, but that is to uh, shape us, change us, sanctify us, so then how we treat one another during the week should hopefully be uh, very much connected to the God that we worship on Sunday morning. Um, Let me pray, and then we'll walk through this text. Father, I'm thankful for this morning uh, just to be a, a member of this church and thankful for the support uh, this church has given me over the eight plus years my family has been here and and the swords come different ways i 've been held accountable i 've been corrected i 've been given patience to grow as a person and as a pastor i 'm thankful for the the deeds of just care that go out go on during the week of helping one another getting to doctors' visits and um, answering phone calls and sending texts and it's it's um, just a gift to be a part of a church body and to not when you lose that when you're when you're all, all alone without the church of god it is so hard and yet the church is hard too lord this is the places where we learn about forgiveness and learn about patience and so god we pray that as we meditate on this text we would have a better understanding of what it means to recognize the body of christ as we gather to take the lord's supper Speak to us, change us, make this church uh, and its people just uh, more faithful to your word and more honoring to your son. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, If you are in the world of reading business books, you may have come across the name of a man named David Allen. Uh, I like David Allen. He's a fun guy. He wrote a book years ago called Getting Things Done. All the men should be like, yeah, get things done. That's what we do. Uh, and David Allen's point in this uh, book is really just on the idea that the, the most maybe important jobs and some of the most gifted professionals in the world use lists. And all the women are like, amen, <laughs> right? And so in the book it talks about how, uh, you know, if you're landing airplanes, these pilots use lists. If you're performing open-heart surgery, they use lists. And because of that, David Allen then breaks it down and say, like, the areas of our lives that are important, we should have lists. We should have checklists to make sure that we're building our lives and following uh, simple steps of organization, yada, yada. All right? Well, I believe in some ways what, the whole, what Paul is giving in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 to the end of the chapter, is a checklist to do a heart check When you take the Lord's Supper. This is to be a a thing we do individually. Notice we'll get to eventually, it even says you should judge yourself. You should examine yourself. But it's also something we do corporately when we think about ourselves as the corporate body. And so I'm just going to walk through, and I have five items for those of you who are taking notes, on things to think about, uh, things to consider Before you come and take the meal. And I think this is for all weeks. Um, And so consider these things as we begin. I want to start in verse 17. Because Paul starts with some pretty strong language. I would not want an apostle of the risen Jesus Christ to come and say this to us. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you from which you have God's, to show which of you have God's approval. So the first question when taking the Lord's Supper is to ask the question, have I honored unity? Have I preserved unity? Have I fought for unity? What Paul, Paul's going to get specific about where the disunity is in this church, um, but he just begins by saying, I don't have praise for you, because when you gather as a church, there is a, there's disunity. There's divisions among you. If you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there were divisions about which church leader they liked over the other. Uh, He's going to talk about another aspect of division here in a second. And he's concerned because the meal is to celebrate that God has made a people through the blood of Jesus. He did everything he could to bring unity. And so when you take a meal celebrating what Christ has done, the union that he has done, he asked his people, how have you done to preserve and fight for unity, to pursue unity a verse that is always helpful for me is in Romans 12.18. If you turn in your Bibles to Romans 12.18, it's just a—it's one of those useful verses to memorize and make it a life verse for you in the church family. Romans 12.18, Paul instructs here, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This verse is so helpful because it's saying not every relationship, not every situation is going to be perfect. We live in a fallen world. The question is, have we done to the best of our ability to live at peace, to preserve unity? Because here's the thing I want you to realize in taking the Lord's Supper. The idea is, have I preserved unity or have I uh, honored unity, doesn't mean that things have to be perfect. The question is, are your, is your heart pursuing these things? We'll get to uh, uh, number three on our checklist. The idea is, you, you know, to take this meal, you have to confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. So this, when I'm talking about preserving unity and fighting for unity, it isn't that every relationship that you have is perfect question is, though, are you still trying to pursue reconciliation? Or have you said, oh, well, I'm not going to live at peace with that guy because he's a jerk. And so, um, you know, I just see, so as you test your heart, have I honored unity this week? So uh, a couple of things that might betray that you haven't honored unity this week uh, is, have you been questioning people's motives, either in your heart Or out loud? Love believes all things, hopes all things. So in your heart, have you tried to give people the benefit of the doubt? Or are you questioning motives? Have you been given to gossip? Or on the positive, have you been using your lips for encouragement? To build others up and to encourage others to love? If you know of a relationship that's in uh, some sort of disarray or disharmony, uh, have you taken a step this week for restoration or reconciliation? And maybe this week the step is just to pray for the conversation that happens the following week, right? But are you, I'm committed to pursue peace. Have I honored the unity of the church of God? Second item on your checklist is to ask the question, have I considered the whole community? Have I considered? So if if you like one words, uh, unity is the first word, and then I would say consideration is the key word on the second list. He goes on and says in verses 21 and 22, he says, for when you are eating, uh, actually I'll go Verse 20 and 21 22. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So now we're zooming in. Paul's zooming in on what is the, issue, the key issue of division in the first century in Corinth. And the issue is, uh, when they had these meals, they were having, uh, uh, usually the, the taking of the Lord's Supper was a part of a larger meal. Sometimes they were called love feasts or agape meals. Uh, we call them potlucks. But what says happened, and what has happened, though, is um, there are people being excluded and they are going hungry. And it says specifically who these people are in verse 22. He says that you are humiliating those who have nothing. That there are poorer members in this church that are missing out on the meal. They're being excluded. Scholars argue it's probably one of two different reasons why, why these people who are poor have been excluded. Uh, one could be that, just like a lot of people, even today they don 't have um, flexibility in their work schedule, and so they might not have either, they might not be able to get off work to make it to the meal. The second idea is in the bigger Roman households, there were uh, you know porticos and porches and different divisions of the house and it 's possible that on one portion of the house was for the upper class where the food was. And there was another portion of the house where the more typical lower classes dwelt and they didn't set out food for them. Either way, this meal to celebrate the unity of the body of Christ is actually displaying disunity because the poor are not participating. They're missing out on this fellowship meal. Maybe even being excluded from the Lord's Supper itself. And Paul is so concerned verse 20 he says when you're coming together you're actually then not doing the lord's supper this that the poor are neglected that some people are being excluded and alienated for you to say that you're remembering jesus it's just not true you're doing something else you might be eating you might be having a party but you're not celebrating the supper of Jesus Christ. You're not honoring the holiness of this meal. And so we start to think about ourselves. Have we considered the whole community this week? Are we thinking about men and women, boys and girls, rich and poor, black and white and brown and red and yellow and different ethnicities? Are we considering as a church, the the different aspects, the different types of people in the church, to ensure that they can participate in the gathering of God's people, that they are welcome in God's family, uh, educated, uneducated, undereducated, employed, unemployed. Is there? Have we considered the whole community that they have a seat at the table of the Lord's supper, and we come to this together? Uh, I asked this question way back when, when we started the the uh, this series on the church, just a couple of questions on, you know, is it okay for you to take communion at a family reunion? Or is it okay for you to take communion in your small group? Uh, at some level, the Bible doesn't speak a clear word, but I would just encourage you, if your family reunion is about eating a supper with only the people you like, I would say don't take the Lord's Supper then. Because, At some level, taking the Lord's Supper is with those people that you like and dislike, those who are similar and dissimilar. Same thing, if you're doing this Bible study, you're like, well, I don't like taking communion with those people because it makes me feel uncomfortable. I want to take it with my friends. I think you're starting to betray the idea of considering the whole community when you intentionally set up the supper for the people that you're similar to. So just as you pray about, when we take this, one of the things it says to is when you come together, and when he says when you, he means y'all, the whole church family. Just like I encourage people when they get baptized, we don't do private baptisms, we do public baptisms. I think it's important when we take the Lord's Supper, that it is a public taking of the Lord's Supper, and we invite the whole church family so that we're honoring this idea of considering the whole church, and we're honoring unity. So those are the first two items on the list. First, have I honored unity? Second, have I considered the whole community? The third item is the one that I think we often do week in and week out. The third question you would ask on your list is, am I remembering Christ as my sacrifice? Or you could ask it this way, are we remembering Christ as our sacrifice? Verses 23 through 26 say this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. So this is the Lord's Supper being passed down from one generation of Christians to the next, and we continue to do that today. Paul writes, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, for y'all. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So now when we come to this meal, as, we, as we've uh, preserved unity, as we've considered the whole church, then when the meal is actually being done, we want to make sure that those who come are remembering Christ as their Savior. I heard a sermon years ago, and one of the, the preachers said something about uh, beautiful, possessive pronouns. And you see beautiful, possessive pronouns all throughout the Bible, like in Psalms, where someone has the privilege to say, My God. Not the God, not a God, but when you can begin to say, He's my. I could pray to a God who is mine, a Lord who is mine, or the God who we share is our God. In taking the Lord's Supper, every individual needs to be able to say, this is my Savior. I've trusted in Jesus Christ personally. He's not some random, unknown, uh, unrelatable God who's ineffable. He's a God who has made himself near through the person of Jesus Christ He's revealed himself as a God of love and mercy and sacrifice. And he invites us to trust him personally. And then we say, this is my God. He's died for my sins. He's died for our sins. And so if you're going to take this meal today, ask the question, am I remembering Christ as my sacrifice? He died for my sin. A number of years ago, some of us memorized a simple way to remember the gospel using the, the word gospel as an acrostic. Let me just remind you of these words that are just very helpful. Have I trusted the good news of Jesus Christ? Have I believed the gospel? What is the gospel? G: God created us to be with Him. Do you believe that that God created you? Then, O, oh, of gospel. Oh, our sins separate us from God? Do you recognize that our behavior, both in our hearts and out through our lives, separates us from God? The S is sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Most every religion on the planet, or every other religion on the planet, they have all kinds of good advice. Only Christianity preaches good news. Every other religion says, do. Christianity says, done. Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. And so our good deeds, even our best deed is still tainted with some selfishness and pride. And so our sins cannot be removed by our good deeds But then the hope is in the P of Gospel P, paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again. Paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again. So I can't pay for my own sin. I can't remove my own sin, and so Jesus dies in my place, and his resurrection confirms its victory. Some people say, Jesus wrote the check on Friday, and it cleared on Sunday. It's good. It's good. Then the E of gospel is everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And the key word is there alone. Am I trusting in Jesus plus my good works? Am I trusting in Jesus plus my church attendance, Jesus plus the money I give to charity, or am I trusting in Jesus alone, that he is the one who saves me, he is the one who brings me into the family that it was his blood that was given, his body that was given. And then finally, one of the greatest things about the gospel, L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. It starts now and lasts forever. A lot of times people will say something to the effect of, oh, so when I die, then I get eternal life. No, 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 no. When you trust Jesus, you get eternal life now. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. There's forgiveness of sins. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. New things are coming. There's life now. Uh, the passage that uh, Matt Roston reading out of Colossians, where it starts talking about, we set our minds on Christ, and he begins to transform character in us now. So as we go to the Lord's Supper today, the question is, am I remembering Christ as my sacrifice? He died for me. His blood was shed for me. He's the one who's made me new. He's the one that gives me access and privilege to the table. I'm not coming to the table because I had a good moral week. I'm coming to the table because Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. So as you meditate on this, uh, taking the Lord's Supper today and future weeks, Are you coming to the table knowing that Christ is the one who has given you access and privilege to a relationship with God, but also the table that celebrates this new life with God? So we're going through our checklist. Have I honored unity? Two, have I considered the whole community? Three, am I remembering Christ as my sacrifice? And Then the fourth item on the list, have I judged myself? Have I judged myself? really, this is the whole point of the, the sermon, right? Having a list, right? But have I, have I been judging myself? Verse 27 through 32. He says, so then, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. And I think in this context, based on everything that we're reading here and in the next three chapters of 1 Corinthians, to discern the body of Christ means the church. This is Christ's body, which he has purchased for us. Are you discerning, are you thoughtful of the body of Christ? Because it says, if you eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, you eat and drink judgment on themselves. And then he says, That is why many among you are weak and sick. A number of you have fallen asleep, which means they've died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. I'm going to start here with the end of these verses just to realize what was going on. It seems that in this church, in the first century, there has been this outbreak of illness and death. People are getting sick, and some people are dying. And these verses say that this is some sort of discipline of the Lord on the church. Now, some interpreters, some scholars will say, like, will make this very individualistic and say, all right, brother and sister, if you don't do this checklist and you don't take the Lord's Supper thoughtfully, you're going to die. Other scholars will say, when a corporate church, when a corporate church isn't honoring the taking of the Lord's Supper, there'll be discipline on the whole, the discipline's on the church rather than the individual. I'm not sure which. I do know that there is a history uh, in God's people, both in the Old and New Testament, that when the most holy things that God gives us are mistreated, there is some sort of discipline. Uh, Aaron was the first high priest over the people of Israel under the old covenants. And he had two sons named, named Nadab and Abihu. And it says that they tr- they went before God's altar and they brought a strange fire. That is, they they were Uh, doing their service not according to God's word, and it says they died. There was a guy named Uzzah. These are all possible names. Silas and Ezra are pretty names, but you could have gone with Uzzah. But Uzzah, it says that the tabernacle of God was about to fall to the ground, and Uzzah reached out his hand to present the, the tabernacle, this place that housed the Ten Commandments. He reached out just to Keep the tabernacle from falling. He had good intentions, and he died. And then people are like, well, that's all Old Testament. In the New Testament, there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and with mixed motives and deception, they lied about their offering to the church, and they died. Those things that are holy of the Lord, we should honor as holy. We should honor as holy. And so, back to this idea, am I judging myself. Verse 28, he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. This is actually in the singular in the Greek. So let each person, let him, let her examine themselves. Verse 31 says, we're supposed to be discerning with regard to our selves, and we would not come under such judgment. And so examine yourself. And again, examine yourself about, have you fought for unity? Have you considered the whole community? Are you remembering the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you coming for forgiveness? C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing, as far as I know, to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of and who do not feel that they need forgiveness. So as you judge yourself, at least what, what I, you know, every day when I do this process and every week when I prepare for the Lord's Supper, when I judge myself, I find sin. If you want to know your heart, and I encourage this as an exercise, if you want to know your heart, uh, use one of two passages uh, from the Bible and a piece of paper and about thirty to 30 minutes of silence. And say, am I pure this week? And then go to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it does not... Uh, oh man, I lost it. Love, uh, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If you have 30 minutes of silence in just those verses, as you judge yourself, as I do, there's things to repent of before you come to the table. Here's the good news. Jesus always offers forgiveness to those who repent. If that passage doesn't get to you, Go to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Meditate on these verses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. So you judge yourself. Do you find yourself falling short of those? Here's the good news you confess, you repent, forgiveness. Remember, this table is for those who confess themselves as sinners. This is a sinner's table. So hear this no perfect people allowed. No perfect people. If you don't, I'll just say this. If you haven't come to a place yet in your life where you have repented of sin and confessed yourself as a sinner and have trusted Jesus Christ, just know that right now the table isn't for you. When you get to a place where you can confess and join this community of sinners, come, feast, remember. Judge yourself. But remember too, key in here is also to make sure that we're discerning the body of Christ. Verse 29. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, to eat and drink judgment on themselves. So there is a sense of a, you know, judging yourself, but I'd encourage you, even as in this process of preparing for, the commun- for communion each week, pray for the body. Judge your church family. I don't mean judge negatively, but, but just be, realize different people are coming from different walks of life. I'll encourage this practice over and over again. I encourage you to pray through our church directory, and if you don't have one, we'll get you one. Pray through the church directory at least once a week. Pray for their names. I often will scribble notes around their names. You know, sometimes it's names of other family members or prayer requests that they have given me. And this is one of the ways that I try to consider the body each week and I'll just let you know, if you use the same directory for a long time, you will feel the weight of being a part of a church because this church is full of people with sorrows and brokenness and hurt and pain. And we get to celebrate some things, but most of us are longing for heaven. But most of us are carrying burdens, our families, our jobs. And this is just one way to kind of prepare your heart, praying for one another, praying for that we all come to this table Together, just longing for Jesus because longing for heaven because we are in a difficult world. Have I honored unity? Have I considered the whole community? Am I remembering Christ as my sacrifice? Have I judged myself? Thir- fifth and final item on the checklist. Am I preparing for communion at home? Am I preparing for communion at home? Home. The, the, the passage ends this way in verses 33 and 34. He says, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Some older translations say, When you gather together, wait for each other. Verse 34, Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. I just find this very interesting. Paul is just very practical here. So this whole potluck family meal had caused so much divisions and so much problems, he just said, let's get real practical here. Why don't you eat a snack so you can wait for the poor members of the church to get there so that you can take the meal? Think in advance about the church and honoring Christ long before you get there, so that when you're there, you're recognizing the body and you're discerning and you're prepared. And so I just want to extrapolate and say, I would just say most of us probably don't think about communion until you sit down and you look at the bulletin and be like, oh, we're taking communion this Sunday. I would just encourage you, think about during the week about preparing your heart to remember the Lord's sacrifice for us. Some of you are already planning Thanksgiving. You've already made calls to family members, sisters, cousins on who's bringing what to make sure that you don't have too many uh, vegetables and make sure you do have too much dessert. Right? You're already doing that. And the reason we do that is because it's a special meal. We want it, to done, we want it done well. We want it to be special um, we don't want someone to forget the turkey or the stuffing or the gravy or but you know that list of what is necessary for Thanksgiving. It just gets longer and longer each year, and the scotch and the pumpkin pie and the cherry pie and the French silk pie, I mean, just all that to say. This is such a special meal that we're celebrating. It's the one meal for the Christian church that Jesus has instituted. And so I just want to encourage us to think about this meal before we get there. Think about the brothers and sisters taking the meal. If there's, you know, I've done this over the last few weeks. Like if there's some areas of disunity or there's areas of sin in your own heart, you just pray about those things. Give them to the Lord. Live at peace with all people as far as it depends on you. And you just pray through those things and you hand them to the Lord. And you say, God, I want to come with a right attitude, with a right heart. It is so easy to treat the most precious things with thoughtless familiarity. You guys are familiar with the expression familiarity breeds contempt. And so it's so easy, it is. It's so easy to treat our family with thoughtless familiarity. Most of us in the West, it's so easy to treat food with thoughtless familiarity those of us who still have our hearing, we take hearing for granted and sight for granted. But when you lose those things, people will pay tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get them back because they're precious. What Christ accomplished on the the cross is the most precious, precious thing ever done. We were not redeemed by gold or silver, but by the precious blood of Jesus. And so now he's given us a meal to remember the precious price and so we just don't want this to become familiar even if you take it regularly, monthly, weekly we don't want this regular we want this precious when you first get married that like goodbye kiss and that come home kiss, they're precious and after a while it's like, oh yeah, I gotta fight her because I want to leave and she'll be mad if I don't kiss her Right? no, 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 what do we, how do we get back to those things being precious especially this meal. So the five things again. So just even pray now in your own heart. Have I honored unity or preserved unity or fought for unity this week? Have I considered the whole community? Am I remembering Christ as my sacrifice? Have I judged myself? And am I preparing at home? Have I prepared? Remember, here's the: we'll never take this meal perfectly. There's uh, I, I, some people even now. You got to pray. Maybe you shouldn't take the meal this week. Maybe there's uh, you haven't fought for unity. You haven't been pursuing reconciliation. Maybe you haven't trusted Christ yet. And so I just encourage you: if you're in those places, then you've judged yourself. Just pass. But most of us just recognize I haven't celebrated this well enough. And here's the thing, you've never celebrated it well enough. We never have. We can't give Christ enough honor. And so I would just say in your heart, just, how, how do we just repent? And then come to the meal that celebrates forgiveness for repenters. Years ago, there was a man by the name of Edwards, Edward Reynolds, a 17th century Puritan. And he says, there is one condition of the new covenant faith. Do you believe? Do you believe? If you do, I just encourage you, when we take the meal today, take it and remember with us. Take it and remember with us. I want to pray, and then I'll just give some instructions on taking the Lord's Supper. Father in heaven, thank you for my brothers and sisters to gather this morning to to remember you, to honor you. Thanks for the gift of uh, communion, the sign and seal of the new covenant through the blood, through the body of Jesus. We thank you that we can come now to receive the promise that all those who confess, all those who repent are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.